Hi, I'm Mark Rodman. Coming up on Front Row, the U.S. Supreme Court agrees to intervene in North Carolina's voter ID case. Dr. Mandy Cohen steps down as North Carolina's Health and Human Services Secretary, and this year, a record number of drug overdoses in America. Next. Major funding for Front Row is provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by Patricia and Ku Yuen through the Yuen Foundation, committed to bridging cultural differences in our communities. And by... Funding for the Lightning Round is provided by NC Realtors, Helen Lockery, Mary Louise and John Burris, Reifenberg Construction, Stephen Gleason, and Jane and Van Hip. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash front row. Welcome back. Joining the conversation, Mitch Kokai with the John Locke Foundation, Democratic State Senator Sidney Batch, Donna King, Editor-in-Chief of Carolina Journal, and Republican State Senator Jim Bergen. Mitch, let's begin with the latest developments in the North Carolina voter ID case. You'll remember that 2 million voters, 55% of the total, went to the polls in 2018 and decided that North Carolina should have voter ID embedded in the state constitution. Shortly afterward, the General Assembly passed a law to make that happen. But three years later, we still don't have voter ID. And that's because both the law and the constitutional amendment have faced legal challenges at both the state and the federal level. The U.S. Supreme Court has now decided to get in on the action. But the U.S. Supreme Court is not going to decide yes or no about voter ID in North Carolina. The actual issue for the Supreme Court is whether legislative leaders are going to be able to intervene in the federal lawsuit. The reason they want to do that is these legislative leaders don't believe that Attorney General Josh Stein is putting forward an adequate defense of the voter ID law. Stein has countered that he's putting forward a, a, an adequate, a good defense, but uh, the legislative leaders don't believe it. They've gone to the Supreme Court to ask whether they can intervene. The Supreme Court will decide this. Apparently, there will be arguments sometime early in the new year, probably a decision by June. This has some implications for voter ID because before the Supreme Court decided to take the case, there was supposed to be a federal trial on this issue in early 2022. And even if the Supreme Court says that the legislators can intervene and we have the federal trial, this does nothing to uh, counteract a state court ruling against voter ID. Plus, there's also the case involving the constitutional amendment, which has generated a controversy in our state Supreme Court. So there's still a lot of action to be determined before anyone has to use voter ID. Sydney, you have the floor. Yeah, so I think that part of it, you know, we know that elections have consequences. And so in the same year where the GOP did pick up additional seats in the legislature, they did reelect A.G. Stein. And they said that they want him to be the head of the Department of Justice. And they think that he is the most appropriate person. Um, despite all of the noise that's being made around this, he did file a motion for summary judgment this week, stating that he didn't think that there was validity to the actual lawsuit. And if that actually, um, if the judges rule in his favor, then the lawsuit goes away altogether. So it's not as if he's not doing the job. He's doing the job that, frankly, uh, GOP leaders want and would argue themselves. And so I don't think that it's a fair assessment to say that he is not doing his job to defend North Carolinians. Donna, how high are his stakes? 
Um, I think they're very high because right now this is more than just this case. Uh, the legislature passed something this this session called uh, prevent, uh, banning collusive settlements. It sounds a little confusing, but basically what it means is that the role of the attorney general can't predetermine a settlement in a case that he is he defending the from state. A, from a general assembly, well, the, well uh, no, Governor Cooper actually vetoed yeah. that, that okay. collusive settlement ban. Thank and you. this is part of that that issue and basically lawmakers are saying with friends like this who needs enemies um, that the the lawyer the lawyers for attorney general Stein aren't really defending a law because of politics not because of the role they have as the attorney general and they want the right to get someone else my friend well, there's a difference between a defense and a vigorous defense, and I think we're looking for a vigorous defense. And 35 other states have voter ID, 21 have photo ID. Uh, it's time to go ahead and deal with it, and I think we're going to get a good, favorable ruling. Mitch, will they have to show an ID when they vote in the midterms? Oh, I would think it'd be very doubtful that this is going to be resolved by 2022. Uh, hope springs eternal. But there are so many things standing in the way of voter ID, because as we said, there is still the state court ruling against it. Uh, it was challenged in the state court. A three-judge panel ruled against voter ID. That's going to have to make its way through the state court system as well. Don, to wrap this up in about 30 seconds. Well, I think it is important to note that this particular case that we're going to see from the U.S. Supreme Court is not on the issue of voter ID itself. It's whether the Republican le legislature can secure their own legal counsel to defend a state law uh, that was passed by voters, not something that it was just them. It went before voters. Um, and whether the attorney general can use politics to defend or vigorously defend that state law. Okay, I'm going to come right back to you talk about Mandy Cohen. She stepped down this week as Secretary of Health and Human Services. Yes, Dr. Mandy Cohen, she is Secretary of Health and Human Services through the end of 2021. She announced this week that she is stepping down. Um, she said she wants to spend some time with her young girls. I can't, can only imagine the hours that Dr. Cohen has worked this year through COVID. Uh, she's really been the face of the Cooper administration's um, efforts to mitigate coop, mitigate COVID and its spread, uh, which includes shutting down schools, shutting down businesses, a lot of the criticism. She's focused very heavily on uh, increasing vaccines and what she called the three W's. Um, I think that there was a lot of speculation the 24 hours or so before this announcement came that she was going to run for Congress. Or, or she maybe gotten, Senate. Or maybe Senate. Or that she was getting a, an appointment in the Biden White House. She uh, sort of dismissed a lot of these, but was a little bit vague about it. She said, I'm going to spend some time with my family. We love North Carolina. Carolina. I'm looking at opportunities, hopefully, to stay there, to stay here in North Carolina. Um, but she said that for the moment, she's not planning to run for office. Jim, she got bipartisan praise for her job, didn't she? She did a good job. I worked with her a lot. She called me the morning before she resigned, and we had a great conversation. And I asked her, I said, uh, the rumor is you're either going to run for Senate or go into the, to Washington. And she said, neither of those are true. I'm going to take time off, enjoy my family. Um, I think that she's suffering from what a lot of people have been suffering from, and that's COVID exhaustion. Mm -hmm. And so I hope she takes some personal time, reconnects with her husband and kids, and just enjoys life. Mitch. Well, remember also that this is a high-profile role. Even if you didn't have COVID, the State Department of Health and Human Services is one of the largest departments right, in state point. government. And having been in that job basically for five years, uh, a lot of people who lead a cabinet department, especially one as large as this one, are going to face some burnout. Plus, it's also a good time. You know, the, the General Assembly is still going to be dealing with these issues of Medicaid and health reforms. And if you're going to be launching a new campaign on this and you know that the, the leader is likely to be stepping down, you'd rather it happen now than in the middle of a year when all these negotiations are going on. You think we'll see her back in the public eye 
Sydney. I, I mean, I hope so. But I, I agree with Jim. I think that after five years of serving two in a pandemic, right, or at mm -hmm. least almost two now, I mean, that's a lot. She's been 24-7 and she's got young kids and as somebody who has young kids myself, I know what that grind is, but I didn't even do it at the level that she did. I think she's she will take time and then hopefully we will see her in the public eye. But I do think that to um, everyone's point, you know, she's a titan in her right and has done a really great job navigating us through this pandemic. And as comparison, Georgia, who has a similar population, lost 17,900, um, I think it's 11,795 um, Georgians over North Carolinians. And so we have actually been able to save more North Carolinians' lives because of her leadership. Do you think that's correct? Or do we have a really good record in, the, uh, in regards to the pandemic? Um, I, North think, Carolina? I think in general that uh, management of it has kept the overall fatalities down, but I think the um, repercussions of some of the tactics, particularly the shutdown of schools in North businesses. Carolina, shutdown of businesses, the residual damage is still being felt and will continue to be felt for a long time. But we do have sure. a... I'm Go sorry, ahead. but I will Go say ahead. that we have a ridiculous, I mean, we did exceptionally well, right? And when you look at all of the national statistics about how states have done with regards to their economy and also loss of death in life, we actually were at the top of that list. So it's got to be something other than just we were lucky. Did the mandates work, you think? One of the things that happened was early on in this, uh, we were the last, I think we were third from the last in the nation for getting out shots. She put Cody Kinsley, the new secretary, in to take care of that, to, to kind of rethink and uh, a lot of us got involved and helped, and I think that turned it around. We went from the bottom to the top in about two and a half weeks. Mitch, wrap this up in about 20 seconds. Well, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens next with DHHS. I mean, we've been talking about what happens next with Mandy Cohen, which is an interesting issue, but now with Cody Kinsley being the new uh, department head, how do things happen with COVID? Does Governor Cooper, or uh, with this Omicron variant, or anything else that crops up with COVID, do we look at tightening up more right. restrictions? I think that's going to be very interesting to watch. Okay, I want to talk to Cindy. It's a sad story, really, about the record number of overdoses in America this year. Yeah, it's actually alarming. It's 100,000 Americans who have died of drug overdoses just this year. And that, for perspective, is the Longhorns, um, UT, and Austin, their stadium that they play in is 100,000 people. So imagine that's the loss of life that we've had just this year. And in North Carolina, since 2017, we've actually had about 10,000 North Carolinians that have died of drug overdoses. This is in part due to two different things that are going on, COVID. And in North Carolina, the past year, it's a 37% increase in the overdoses um, that we have seen. Part of it is because of COVID uh, with regards to not having access to mental health services, people losing their jobs, people obviously being very stressed out, overwhelmed, and not being able to get treatment and access, many people losing their health insurance. They weren't able to, to receive treatment. But the bigger issue is the fentanyl issue that we have in our country. Fentanyl is almost nearly every single drug. It's highly addictive. It's obviously volatile. And that is causing Three quarters the of the deaths are from fentanyl. Fentanyl, yes, exactly. And so we have to address the fact that it's coming into this country. I know that Border Patrol under the Biden administration has actually seized a ridiculous amount of fentanyl. But we know that it's already here. And so we can't just hope that you can keep it away from the borders. We've got to address the issue right now by making sure that we provide mental health services and substance abuse treatment to any North Carolinian, regardless of what's going on, so that we can be in a position where if they want to maintain their sobriety and obtain sobriety, we've got to give them the access to the treatment. Jim, is there a correlation between Biden's border policy and the record number of drugs coming in this country? I think so. I think the ease of moving freight, in this case drugs, across the border has, has made a huge difference. And I think another problem that we've had is there's been so much money sent to folks and they've been sitting at home, so they've, I think a lot of people have been doing more recreational drug use. And so I think the combination of all that extra supply of money and what's been going on. Now I introduced a bill and it passed the Senate unanimously 
unanimously is Senate Bill 408, and it had to do with patient brokering. We've got situations in Asheville, North Carolina right now where people are going into drug treatment, and when they get out, folks associated with that, those organizations are going out and reintroducing these people to drugs to get them back into the program. So this what bill- What are the penalties for dealing with fentanyl? Uh, no. I don't know what the penalties are now, but in my bill, it makes it a class G felony to, to uh, get these folks back into a treatment program. Donna. I mean, I think that that's a critical part of that. And what we're really seeing also is one of those residual effects of all the shutdowns that we were just talking about. Uh, it has done no favors for our national mental health. Anybody who was borderline depressed or suicidal or addicted uh, just went right off a cliff in many cases. And we're seeing that the, uh, the drug enforcement agencies have seized more fentanyl in 2021 than needed to kill every single American. And that's one of the problems that they're wrestling with. There's an, a massive amount and fentanyl is not just itself. It is in all the other illicit drugs because just like every other industry, there's a supply chain problem. They're not able to get the cocaine and heroin and all those things. That, so fentanyl is getting mixed in and it is highly addictive, uh, you know, many, many times more addictive than even heroin and deadly. Uh, the Biden administration actually announced this week that they're going to increase access to Narcan because that is another problem that we've had during all these shutdowns is the limited uh, access to some of these drugs that can stop an overdose. Um, it's just in general, this colossal uh, perfect storm that's claimed so many lives during COVID shutdowns. Mitch, it is an epidemic. And I mean, particularly you see some of these small towns have just been devastated. Yeah, that's been true now for, for a while. I mean, we know that in parts of the Midwest, there are communities that have become somewhat ghost towns because so many people are uh, taken out of action because they're dealing with drug issues. To me, this is a, a reminder of just how much COVID-19 has impacted our lives because we already had a problem with drugs and this has just exacerbated it. And as we deal with things like employment issues long-term, drug issues, all of them are gonna have to be addressed in the area of post-COVID. How do we change policy so that things work? Great job, Jim. Let's talk about the uh, natural gas legislation that just passed the General Assembly headed to the governor's desk. House Bill 220, and it's on the governor's desk. I looked it up this morning to see if he had vetoed it or signed it. I hope he signs it. Um, 20 other states have already done this. We do not need local counties and municipalities telling people what kind of electricity they need to use on their house. I think we're doing great in this state. I looked up a bunch of statistics over the last few days, and, and since 2010, we have shut 35 coal-fired plants in this state. Now, we've started a bunch of new gas-fired plants, but we are reducing uh, our, our you know, use of coal, we're reducing pollution. We are a energy using state. We use about 12% more energy than we produce. I don't see that changing with everything that's going on in the state of North Carolina. Sydney, some environmental groups did push back on this though, didn't they? Yeah, they pushed back on it in um, large part because I think that their entire idea and sense of, of the legislation is that this is a solution looking for a problem. Um, you know, Senator Rayburn said that, North, that California, we can't be California. Well, we're not California. And no municipalities in North Carolina have actually said that they're going to limit what they want to do with regards to energy. And at a time in which we actually all, in a huge bipartisan effort, passed a great energy bill that's going to go ahead and address over the next three decades our carbon emissions, this is going to hamstring some individuals to be able to, cities and municipalities, to be able to figure out how we're going to get to carbon neutral. And you were right, Duke Energy has done, a, we're doing a great job at making sure that coal ash plants are being shut down. But this is not a bill that is necessary because it's not happening in North Carolina right Mitch, now. Mitch, was there a water, water quality uh, point of uh, piece of this? Well, you know, there there are all kinds of issues that are involved in this. I think. But to, I think to, that was 
partly in the bill, right? I, that may have been something in the yeah. bill. The part, the part that I focused on was the fact that the, the state legislature is saying, look, energy policy is made by the state. Right. All of these hundreds of municipalities shouldn't be making their own energy policy. It's a state level issue. It's the type of thing that should be handled by the state. We are what is sometimes called the Dillon rule state where right. most everything that's done is determined by state government and only those issues that the state allows local governments to do should they do. This is a case of the state stepping in and saying, local governments, you can't ban natural gas. We're gonna make this a state level policy. You think the governor will sign it, Donna? Uh, you know, that's a really good question. I tend to think that he will not. You know, I, I, it's hard to say. This seems like a really, really real effort to uh, put him, uh, put uh, controls on local government if he were to veto it. Uh, because local governments really shouldn't be in the business of telling folks what kind of electricity that they can get. I'm not positive I would buy a house that had required me to use an electric stove and I, when I could go to a neighborhood next door that allowed me to have natural gas. So, you know, it is one of those issues that I think I would be, um, I, I would, I think he will probably, uh, I think he'll probably veto it. Well, was this a case of the General Assembly trying to get ahead of the curve? I used to go to California a lot, and I would get a lot of great ideas when I went to California to come back to implement That's here. That's when you're doing your screen test. And, right? Well, no, but, <laughs> but I will say that things migrate from California to the East Coast. I've seen it over my many years of business. Uh, it is heading this way. Somebody will get that to think that's a great idea to say, well, we're going to have an all-electric town. We're not going to allow gas. We're not going to allow propane. We're not going to allow any of that. And uh, so I think we are being proactive. And as far as the water, part of the water deal in the bill was we don't want right. folks knowing all the infrastructure mm. on how to attack it. So part of this was that under a Freedom of Information Act, you couldn't get all the details of, I'll use my own county, the Harnett County water system, because we don't want somebody that could go and actually put something in the water to potentially kill people. Rebuttal, quickly, 20 seconds. Not a rebuttal, just to add, I think the okay. issue with regards to um, the, the, the people that are in the environmental um, in industry and they don't want it to actually pass. And they say that it goes to the fact that the public records part portion of the bill is going to prevent them from dealing with what's in water quality. So yes, there are public records. We should not allow individuals to know what's actually happening with our water treatment facilities so that they could poison our water. But Quick. the environmental spe specifically said that they just want to make sure that they still have access to Quick water Quick conversation. Let's go to the most underreported story of the week, Mitch. December 1st tends to be a popular date to put forward as the start for a new law, and that is true again here in 2021. More than two dozen new laws take effect. Some of them are on very important issues, uh, like there are new protections for pregnant women who are behind bars. You can't put restraints on them. Kids who will be in the juvenile system, you could have been uh, under the current law as young as six and get into the juvenile court system. That now has been raised to eight. There are also some police reforms. Officers who see use of excessive force now have to report it. But beyond uh, all of these things that are, that are really weighty, there are also some interesting laws that take effect that people might not have expected. It's now uh, against the law to be in possession of one of those credit card skimmers. And now North Carolina has banned the Carolina squat <laughs> pickup truck change. And it's actually part of the law. So all of those <laughs> took effect as of December 1st. Sydney? So it's fun to be at the General Assembly. Uh, my under <laughs> reported is that 
um, similarly, so North Carolina children uh, are actually being placed in residential um, facilities and psychiatric facilities at an alarming rate, and that's on the rise. They are called PRTFs. What happens is when children are in mental health crisis, um, have behavioral issues, psychiatric issues, sometimes they have to be placed in these uh, treatment facilities, and they are a lockdown psychiatric facilities. The problem is, is that children stay and languish in them, and there's research stating that they actually don't benefit them. So if you're not dealing with the crisis, to then put them back in the oh, community. warehousing kids? We are warehousing kids, and unfortunately, there are a number of kids that are actually being shipped to other states, like Missouri and DSS's custody, where we have no regulation over the places because we don't have placements for them. Jim and I talk about this all the time and do a lot of child welfare work together, in which we are trying to make sure that we are building a community and services so that children can be at home and be able to get the psychiatric services that they need instead of locked away at some of these facilities. Thanks for bringing it to our attention. Mm -hmm. Donna? Uh, uh, President Joe Biden, some of his nominees are trying to make their way through confirmation hearings. Most recently, his nominee for a banking post. Uh, it was just revealed that she has a shoplifting um, charge from like the 1990s. It's just an embarrassing situation. She from was a, a TJ Maxx. It was a TJ Maxx, <laughs> $200 shoplifting charge, and she is up for a banking post. This is not the first uh, hurdle that she's run into. There's now a bipartisan group uh, that is opposing her nominee. You think they'll pull her? I think they probably will. Jim, underreported. The amount of money that's in the state budget for mental health, uh, opioid treatments, and everything else, $675 million of new money, $295 million of that is state money. I'm excited about what we're going to be working on on mental health, and Cindy brought up a great point. Uh, we've got to do something about treating these children. A lot of them have suffered during the last two years of COVID. I talk to folks all the time. I told a story the other day about a, a nine-year-old girl that had been in the um, ER in Harnett County for 21 days, an involuntary commitment, and no place in the state to take her. And so we need to fix that. Sydney and a lot of these kids, because of drugs, uh, are put in foster care too, right? Yeah, so it's a ripple effect, especially out on the coast. One of my friends who's the, um, a, the Department of uh, DSS's attorney said that they actually just don't have enough placement. So we have kids who are staying in DSS offices right now, sleeping in offices. And I practice in that area of law, and one of my client's children was in an office for several days because they did not have a place to place him at that point, but he didn't need to be in one of these psychiatric facilities. So if we don't actually work on some of the addresses, and this has been a decades-long issue in North Carolina, we've got to figure out how we're going to go ahead and get kids the treatment that they need so that they're not being shipped out of the state where we cannot regulate the agencies that they're placed with and that they can actually receive the treatment that okay, they Okay, let's go to the lightning round, Mitch. Who's up? Who's down this week, my friend? What's up is North Carolina's role in outer space. We learned this week about a new agreement between the U.S. Space Force and North Carolina A&T State University. It's going to be some research partnerships and also some scholarships and internships for students. So North Carolina in space, up. Down, up. down <laughs> the opponents of Medicaid expansion. You might think it's weird that I say that because Medicaid expansion is not in the state budget. And there was a, a last-ditch attempt in the state house to have Medicaid expansion put forward as a bill to be considered when the General Assembly comes back. That that was turned down, but we also learned that Phil Berger, the leader of the Senate, who has been one of the big obstacles to Medicaid expansion over the year, now says he is no longer against it. So I think that's a down for the opponents. Sydney. 
My up is real Christmas trees, which after 16 years of being married to my husband, we finally got a real one instead of using our fake one. Um, but the reason why is because in a supply chain issue um, with regards to all the supply chain, they actually are sitting in cargo ships. And so now it's very fortunate for uh, North Carolina and our farmers out west because we are second in Christmas tree sales in the entire country and maybe we'll be first this year because of the supply chain. My down are gas prices in North Carolina and just in time for the holidays. So more people will have money in their pockets for gifts, family, and spending time even to vacation instead of actually uh, putting a ridiculous amount of money in their cars to get to work. Now, who's up and who's down? Who's... Uh, so my up is going to be mask mandates. Uh, President Biden announced this week that they're going to extend mask mandates in public transportation, including airports, um, uh, airplanes, particularly as folks had to travel for the holidays, at least until March. So through the winter, I think we're going to see continue to see mask mandates in federal transportation. Uh, down the Leandro case, the Court of Appeals this uh, week threw out Judge Lee's order of moving uh, $1.7 billion dollars from the coffers to uh, to education. And uh, I would imagine, though, that we may it's not the end of it. Probably uh, that would be my what guess. What is next? Well, I think they're only the next thing that they could do would be the North Carolina Supreme Court. So that would probably be the next step if that was the case. Um, but the Court of Appeals said very clearly the Constitution okay. tells you who can who can uh, who can allocate money. And it's the the House of Representatives and the Senate. Jim. The cost of everything is going to be up. Inflation is going to, is just starting. I was talking to a utility contractor this week. Pipe that he was paying three dollars a foot for is now nine dollars a foot. Talked to a restaurateur yesterday. He said that scallops had gone from a hundred and something dollars to over two hundred dollars a case. Uh, uh, meat all across the board is up. I think we're just getting started. Well, who's down? The down. Our relationship with Russia. I think as as President Putin starts ending his career, he's, he's 69 years old, has had health issues, cancer, Parkinson's disease, uh, a lot of folks think some other things are going on. I think he wants to leave his legacy, and I think his legacy, he, w he wants to try to put the Soviet Union back together. I think that's what's going on in Ukraine right now. And I don't know that, that Biden can stop Putin. Headline next week, Mitch. After months of speculation, candidate filing begins in North Carolina. Does Moore get back in the congressional race? Oh, you know, could be. He said no, but who knows? Headline next week. Just like Goodnight Moon, all is quiet at the General Assembly after we close the longest session in a century um, down on Jones Street. Okay, headline next week. Uh, I'm going to be watching a lot of bills that are piling up there for Governor Cooper, maybe some election uh, some election bills that he might be addressing. He just vetoed the voter yes. integrity bill? Okay. Headline next week. More incumbents decide not to run. I think we're up to 36 in Washington that aren't going to run. I think there's going to be a lot of other announcements coming up. What's the signal it sends? Quickly. I, I think that people are tired. I think they're okay. tired of the, the bickering, arguing, and not getting stuff done. Okay, that's it for us. Great job, guys and gals. See you next week on Fro. Have a great weekend. Major funding for Front Row was provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by Patricia and Ku Yuen through the Yuen Foundation, committed to bridging cultural differences in our communities. And by... Funding for the Lightning Round is provided by NC Realtors, Helen Lockery, Mary Louise and John Burris, Reifenberg Construction, Stephen Gleason, and Jane and Van Hip. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash front row.